Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hello, Olivia. Hi, Micah. How's it going? Greetings from the middle of the week. It's it's one of those weeks. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work that's gotten done. And it really feels like the middle of the week. Like there's still so much left to what's happening this week. I really do feel you. I feel like this week was already stacked for me schedule wise. And then I made the, you know, split second decision to sign a lease as it always is a split second decision in New York because everything's still so competitive these days. So I have exciting beginnings ahead of me trying to organize myself for that. But in the meantime, I think we have a lot of exciting stuff going on in the league, which is why my schedule was packed in the first place. Micah, would you like to introduce what we have launched this week? Yeah, we have a very exciting thing that I think all of us here are super freaking jazzed about. It's a thing we've been meaning to do for a long time, and we teased everybody about it earlier this week. We are starting to do workshops, which is a thing that we have wanted to do for a very long time. Obviously, education's super important to us. That's like where the league began. We are partnering with our good friend and fellow type nerd, Daniel Nisbet, who uh, is a wonderful, gentle soul, and he designs type, he also designs other things, and he has a really awesome YouTube channel. He's one of the co-founders of Type Weekend, which if you were following that last year, was just like an explosion onto the scene of amazing type content that he helped coordinate. And he is working with us to make workshops and so our very first workshop i'm very excited too is led by him which is an intro to glyphs mini so you probably saw this if you got the newsletter earlier this morning glyphs mini is our favorite most affordable font software most people i know who are excited about type design get hung up on one of two things it's either drawing characters or it's making the font right we figured a really interesting introduction to get people feeling like font design is accessible is just like not even focusing on the creative part right now and just focusing on the production part of it. And so what is this, you know, super affordable professional type design software allow you to do? What can you do in here that will help you actually make a font and spit one out at the end? And Daniel's, like, we've done a few practice runs, and Daniel does a really great job of making the tool approachable. And so I think it's going to be really exciting for anybody who, like, even just wants to dip their toes into it. That was a great introduction to the workshop. My goodness. Um, I mean, I'm honestly truly very excited about it. I mean, me too. I have to say, I'm so impressed about the content that Daniel covers in a short period of time. You know, it's kind of a foundation to get you started. It's great for someone that maybe has been into lettering and, you know, making letters fun for them, but maybe making a font is super intimidating and like they don't even know how to do that. And it's probably not always ideal to make a font in Illustrator. So how do you get an introduction to font design software? Great for, you know, that person that wants that knowledge now or even in the future if they're planning on getting something started. As someone that also tried to teach themselves type design several years ago, what Daniel goes over just seems like so crucial. I wish I had that knowledge when I was starting mm-hmm. a few years ago. And even just like in the 45 minutes that is teaching time that's part of the workshop, I felt like I got so much out of it. It really packs a punch. And, you know, it's nice because like, so we're talking about Glyphs Mini. 
which for the record is a Mac only software. We know that. And it, it is tough for anybody who doesn't have a Mac, but for everybody who does have a Mac and has wanted to get into it, it, it is literally the best software to start with. I think it's like around $50 US. And A, that is very affordable. B, there's a free trial to the software. So if you don't have it and you want to get it to participate in this workshop and give it a test run, it won't even cost you anything to try it. And C, you know, in the past we've done very deep dive courses with the league. A couple years ago, we did a super deep full type design three-month course and there were a lot of people on board with that but that's hard for a lot of people yeah and so i think this format of like an affordably priced workshop is gonna be a, a hit for everybody i'm hoping i can't even tell you like how many workshops that i've gone to there are maybe just one day or a weekend that have such a big impact like basically all of my calligraphy knowledge i have from attending workshops. It's not mm. going to any formal education and not any like months long classes. It's maybe a weekend workshop or a day workshop and I can take the skills I get there and then apply them to a whole myriad of things. So I think I'm really excited about this format just as much as you are. <laughs> and the last thing I want to mention too, we wanted to do something special for our members too. And so members get a better price. It's $39 for anybody who wants to join. And if you remember, it's only $29. And that counts for, you know, if you started as a new member yesterday, you know, like, so take advantage of that. If you're one of the people that is supporting us, we were trying to do a little bit to support you. And also a special tie-in for this workshop is our Nerd Alert is kind of related to the things that we're going over in the workshop. Our Nerd Alert is about font production and engineering. It's all the invisible details that make a font a font. You know, it's not just a collection of letter forms. It is software. And what are some of the uh, details that go into that and make that possible? I feel like that is rarely talked about you know we can talk about yeah. designing letter forms but it's we don't often talk about hinting or open type features and how to you know make those integrate into your typography so i think it's a really fun topic that you know is definitely under under talked about and under discussed um, and i think daniel also brings in these aspects of font production in the course which really makes this invaluable which really makes this something that you can't just find in an article online i think his course brings a little something extra to it yeah shoot so that's going to be fun to talk about at the end with our fun nerd alert and that interestingly is tied to one of our first links too. the the wonderful folks over at the masters of type design from Reading sent us an email saying, hey, we put a bunch of our projects up. I think it's the final projects from both 2019 and 2020 mm. is at least that's what the footer says. You know, I haven't been following super closely, but I know that some of these wonderful type designers I follow on Twitter and a few people were like stuck because of the pandemic last year. And so I think this is kind of celebrating all of the projects that these people have put together. And it's, I I love this. A, I think the site is, is gorgeous. Like it's mm -hmm. straightforward and beautiful at the same time. Like it's playful, but also serious. It's extremely usable. It gives information about each of the projects and has very usable, like a lot of these are variable fonts with sliders that you can easily use. There's a lot of examples of how the thing looks in different contexts. It's just gorgeous. Yeah, and anyone that loves typography, once you click into the typefaces, 
kind of landing page. All of these um, pages that you land on are so beautiful. They showcase the typeface really well. They have it in a few different formats. They tell you a little bit about what's included. A lot of these are multilingual, which is just like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I can't even wrap around how much hard work went into so many of these and all the research. And it's just amazing to see. I think University of Reading has one of the top typeface design programs in the world. I feel like I've known that for a while. So these aren't necessarily like your crazy kooky typefaces, but they're the typefaces that are workhorses that could be around for years and years and years and have a certain amount of timelessness to it and have a much more classical approach to typography as far as the look and feel of many of them. So I think that's just like an overall major feat. I mean, we all talk about, you know, if you're starting in, in typeface design, maybe it's easier to start with display because the text typefaces are always kind of for the experts. So it's incredible to see so much students work that really kind of is very ambitious and exciting like this all right you know what i'm gonna ask what my favorite one is <laughs> it, you know i think it's funny does it every time i think you refresh the page it it reorders the typefaces which is kind of nice yeah i i noticed that too and at first i was a little confused and like frustrated by that but at the same time i imagine that's a good diplomatic approach to hey we're all graduating together we don't want to give anybody priority you know yep i was lynn yoon taught a lettering class and she did the same thing for our gallery site so must be a thing Catching also on. they're color coded so if you remember the color you know yes yeah I have to say my favorite is Mango by Ugh. Kaya Badgama. Well, so you obviously stole mine. You know I'm a fan. I, I'm sorry. It's just, it's such a good reverse contrast. Has like a little bit of character, but is so versatile and so flexible. It's a huge family too. Not only is there a serif, but there's a sans as well. And it comes in Gujarati styles, which is its own script, which is really exciting to see how that translates to. I could just adore looking at that typography, even though I can't read it, but uh, <laughs> the letter forms itself are really fascinating to see. And I'd, I'd love with this one, the way that the Latin styles feel like they are in the same family. Obviously that's, you know, that was the approach. That was the point. But she just did such a good job with that. Yeah, it's really impressive. But I mean, again, I mean, there's so many other great ones in here. I also was just a fan of Bibliophile. That was this my was... second. Oh, we have the same style. Like, I th knew that's you'd just like such it. a classic, beautiful Latin face. I mean, it's not just Latin, right? Like, there's Greek characters. There's all manner. And I think it's like a semi-serif, so it's not like full serifs. It's kind of just more like chiseled type sort of look. Yeah, you know, I love the chisel. I knew like, you'd like this one. I love it. So much stoicism in one typeface. But yeah, <laughs> uh, a student from this class, they reached out to us and asked if we could share it. Is that correct? Yeah. I don't remember who, but it was it was somebody from that being like, hey, we, we did this and we thought maybe people might want to know. I, I mean, so. for what it's worth, I, I can't say this enough but the people that are graduating from reading right now are like the next famous type designers yeah if you don't know them now you should get to know them because they are they are going to be giant names exactly and there's just so much to look at here lots of inspiration oh my god i just clicked on josephus i think is the name of it or josephus J-O-S-E-P-H-U-S -E for there's packaging. there's like this beautiful animation in the beginning. It's so pretty. And a lot of these sites like will show the variable axes and stuff like that. But yeah, this one, I don't know. I think they're all going to be my favorite if I keep on clicking around. I know, right? It's incredible. <laughs> I want to buy them all. I know. 
All right. Our next link, also very cool. I'm enthusiastic about it. Multiple people shared this this week, including Daniel. Daniel just emailed us before we were recording this, showing us this. Yes. I'm really excited. I will file this under cool things on the internet that I can share with non-tight people if anyone has <laughs> wants any sort of, you know, reference to what I'm talking about. It's called Synthesizer. It was a tool created for the rebranding of the San Francisco Symphony, which I feel like has been getting so much talk on design and type Twitter. Lots of praise. It's totally a huge typographic system was created for this rebrand. Definitely look it up. I wanted to pull out this small piece of the rebrand because it's something that like we could all have fun with and interact with. It is a tool that interacts with sound and typography. So you, you know, turn on your mic on your computer, make some noise and type out some letter forms and the letter forms are variable. So they kind of react and change shape and morph uh, according to what noise it hears. So if you play, I mean, I think it was originally created because if you play classical music, you know, there's no lyrics to it, but instead it is all within the instruments. And so the typography was a visual expression for the instruments. And it's something that doesn't have lyrics. It kind of like is an interesting juxtaposition. So it's kind of hard to explain, but basically what I said is what it is. <laughs> like it's hard to explain, but I did a great job. Uh, yeah, this was okay. So one of the, there's like a tweet thread that Daniel sent this morning from Jeeves Williams at Jeeves Williams. You look him up, you'll find it. File this rebrand firmly under Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover. And it starts by what a couple friends have sent me, too. It's like the old logo, which is very safe, very, I don't know, upper class symphony logo, you know, like Roman lettering, like some vague icon, you know, it, whatever. And then this crazy SF symphony with like varying heights that seems to have no specific grid or like, you know, it just it looks like it was like spewed onto the page afterwards. And I think me and a lot of people were like, well, that's crappy. What? Like, how is that the rebrand? How did they land on that? And then you discover that it's animated and you see a few examples and this tool that we're linking to of seeing how it's sort of like audio waveforms in the text, right? Like it's reacting to the noise, like you said, and changing the height of the letters depending on audio waveforms. And you're like, okay, that's interesting, I guess. And I too have a very, I've seen so much animated variable font stuff and it's it's like not exciting by itself but it's it's probably exciting to people that go to the san francisco symphony and don't see it on a regular basis okay that's fair that's fair it is bringing it to a whole new audience i can respect that i have to say too you know i've seen some examples of the static versions of this beyond the logo of how they intend to use it as a main typeface on posters and whatnot. And the fact that the height is variant means they can do a lot of expressive stuff even in a static image to make something really dynamic. And uh, a lot of what I've seen examples of that is super successful in that. Like it's very well designed by the time that comes out. I think so. we looked at an example of signage for like a terrace and that was kind of like an unusual application. Yeah, and there was one where there was a poster where it was actually text intermingled straight regular 
serif combined with the italic weaving in and out behind it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, shoot, that's creative too. I didn't think of that in the beginning, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I'm yeah. slowly coming around. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like good to also, you know, take everything in. And I think we're easy to be like, oh, it got reviewed and had high praise. So it must be good. But like, I think you have a different perspective than I do too on just like, that the whole package so i always love hearing what you think micah yeah well i try (laughs) always appreciate it we're gonna jump to a whole different time period even micah i love this article you found it this week i'm very obsessed with it you knew i was gonna be obsessed with it because of course it is called the authors of fonts a history of type foundries it's by book riot which i think they might be like just like a book enthusiast blog i'm not totally sure Mm -hmm. but they really dove into the history of typography i and you really know if someone dives into the history of typography if they start before the Gutenberg Bible and they and they acknowledge that movable type was first invented in Asia I feel like Mm. that is also not often talked about because we're just like Gutenberg and then exploded because Gutenberg was movable type for you know languages Latin-based languages so I mean that's huge and opened it up to a big population but they talk about the porcelain movable type that was made in China in 1040 AD Um, And then they also talk about, in Korea, in 1234 CE, uh, metal movable type was created. Mm. Um, So I think that's pretty interesting. Then, of course, they go into the classic history of Gutenberg, you know, the boom of literacy after that, and why that's so important for, like, anthropology as a whole. And then, you know, the move from Gutenberg's type to linotype to where we are today with digital foundries. I love the deep dive into just historical type foundries. I feel like we don't talk about this much, and they always get brought up when I go into my type history. They give you just little synopses about each type foundry, starting with, you know, American type founders, which was a huge amalgamation of 23 different type foundries that joined forces. And they created, you know, News Gothic, Franklin Gothic, Hobo. You're pretty close with the ATF history, right, Micah? That's one of the first ones that I learned about because a lot of it was in public domain when we started the League of Mobile Type. And so we could use that as inspiration in making open source type that like wasn't going to hurt anybody's feelings too much. I love that. They also mentioned Bauer Type, which released Futura famously. They talk about a Haas Type Foundry, which was established all the way back in the 1600s crazy Mm. they gave us fonts like helvetica and clarendon and you know they talk about even apple was creating apple garamond in 1983 and that's still part of the type foundry history so definitely interesting to kind of see that slice of history in a totally different take and i always appreciate it and i even learn something new even though i feel like I am such a nerd about this stuff. It's always like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that like these foundries did this and kind of connecting a lot of dots in here. It's true. It's very cool. I, I think this is interesting because it took half the article to get to Gutenberg and that's where most of us start, right? Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of really cool intru- illustrations of like Aztec Codex 
and like medicine printed on woodblock in China from 20, from 1249 CE. Like that's so neat. It's just neat. Even the diagrams of linotype machines. Linotype machines, I remember we watched a linotype documentary when I was in school and my mind was just blown. I mean, it's just like a crazy mechanical situation. Mm. Like there's like a gazillion moving parts. I think they're really loud. I saw one in person once and it's just like humongous, first of all. And it's just like this whole... I just can't even imagine. There are probably so so many careers built on fixing linotype machines. I just feel like mm. so many mechanical gears and moving parts and things. Oh, and then I think like they can burn you too because I think it's like melting the metal as you typeset. It's some sort of like typewriter to metal type configuration. I have to be honest. That is a thing I, I truly do not know anything about. We should do a nerd alert on it. I think like it's kind of hard to imagine, but there are. I'm sure there's so much about linotypes that like have gone forgotten and like no one knows what to do with them anymore because they're just like huge heavy things that not a lot of people want but they're yeah. definitely artifacts of history they were so important I definitely back that I think a lot of our our nerdy league members would absolutely love it good good put it on the list <laughs> on the list now is the time to take a break and say, hey, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use pretty much however you like. We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Totally. And thanks, too, to our members. Um, if you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, at the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. All right, Micah. Hair flip, ready to go, nerd alert. So our last article from this week ties into what we're talking about with our nerd alert, right? Yeah. So our last article is from Monotype, and it's titled Font Engineering and the Importance of What You Can't See. And so I pulled a lot of information from here for the nerd alert, as well as a few other resources. But it all, you know, you can read that article just to kind of get a nice digestible overview of what font engineering is. I think font engineering, font production is obviously is sometimes used as interchangeable terms. So that's why I kind of listed them both on our episode title. But yeah, let's talk about font engineering and production. Let's go into it. Definitely not the most glamorous side of the type design world, but certainly like absolutely imperative. I, you know, I think it was really first brought to my attention in full force recently when we had that Ulrich Roche article about her talking about her new font designing fonts, which you bought me, which I'm very excited to go into. And she says that her book, well, yes, people, there's some guidance about designing letter forms. She really goes into the production of creating a font mm. because for her, she makes a lot of display typefaces full of open type features. And she said, if you just talk about how to design letter forms, you're never going to have time to talk about how open type code is like integrated into your font and necessary if you want to have, you know, stylistic open type features, but super necessary if you have typography in Arabic script, where open type features are 
absolutely necessary to connect script letters together and make something readable. So, you know, that leads us down many paths, okay? So font production and engineering allow the font to actually work and function. So it allows someone to download the font and, you know, use it in a word processor, use it in their Adobe Illustrator, have it look correct, have it be seamless once you, you know, start typing out your keyboard. And that whole process of making sure that works isn't necessarily related to the, the designing of beautiful letter forms. Mm. You know, I think it really has to do with making sure it's usable and preparing it for the real world. I think the monotype article that we linked to in the newsletter is an amazing just perspective of interviewing a font engineer, which they rarely get talked about. And he talks about all the challenges that he has to overcome when he's working. So, you know, it's a lot of code. It's a lot of understanding the tables behind your font in the metadata, which I never even knew was a thing. Um, well, that stuff is complicated. Have you taken a look at that? I'm curious. I absolutely have. I've done a few kind of side projects where I was trying to like determine information from font files and it is so obscure and confusing and coded. Like mm -hmm. it isn't, it isn't, there's like a name table, right? Where it's describing, you know, information, but then there's, you know, some like obscure acronym table that like no one would ever know what that means unless you know what it means. Yeah. I feel like I remember the moment when I realized that, you know, typography is a visual translation of code, that, that which seems like an obvious thing, you know? But no one ever really sits down and think about that, yeah. about the code behind the letters they're seeing. But the font engineers do and people that specialize in font production do because they're there to make sure it's a completely seamless experience in your other world of digital you know, applications that you're using. So a few things that have to do with font production, you may have heard of these, you may have not. They're certainly integrated into the whole type design experience, but thinking about you know, the outlines of typography. So, and that's not necessarily like how beautiful your Bezier curve is, but maybe there are errors with some overlapping points that have not been cleaned up yet. Maybe there's path directions, certainly something that Daniel Nesbitt covers in Intro to Glyphs Mini, what path directions mean and how that's necessary to make a font render correctly and making sure extremum points are in the right places. So there's basic outlines that has to do with also interpolation of your fonts, making sure your outlines are all set to interpolate well, which allows you to get, you know, a medium style from a bold and a regular. So that's important. Vertical metrics, the font production has a lot to do with that, making sure, you know, is vertical metrics understanding ascender, cap height, overshoot, and making sure that reads correctly. Also, font production has to do with optimizing spacing and kerning. You know, once your letter forms are designed, having to make sure it's as seamless as a experience as possible for a designer or typesetter. Also, hinting, which I never knew about hinting until I dove into type design, and that makes sure your type is legible at smaller sizes. Hinting actually meant, you know, creating different cuts of type for smaller sizes and designing that type differently back in the day with metal type. But I do think that there still comes that necessary kind of review of typography to make sure you can see it well in seven point as well as you can see it in like 18 point. So that's a whole new nuance thing. The detail to that with digital hinting at this point too, that yeah. um, because different operating systems have different concepts of what a pixel is and how much that takes up on the screen, and different displays on different operating systems also have different concepts of what these units are. It is it is exactly that concept still, and it's it's probably even more complicated 
in digital life now too because there is a much more variety it's not just when you print this on paper at this size we have to adjust it it's when you print it at this size on this type of screen on this device in this operating system yeah so that's like whole complex you know computer systems behind that which a lot of software like you know glyphs mini does a good job of automatically you know covering you 80 percent and helping you Mm -hmm. out by doing it for you but yeah that's like you know for for a high-end professional font that's a thing that an engineer is going to want to not just accept the automatic version they're going to want to actually understand on this screen how do i need to adjust the how the height of the serifs or whatever yeah yeah definitely and speaking of like making sure things look great on many different surfaces and digital screens you know font engineers at larger foundries maybe like monotype have to be concerned with major global tech companies and maybe they're doing automotive companies that need to cover a whole range of languages within the ui of a car so there's like several layers to all Mm. of this and that you know they can have a type designer design the letter forms as far as they can, but actually getting it to work correctly and translate properly and have file sizes and data that works across many, you know, different applications is kind of a major, major skill and understanding to make sure that data is technically correct, it's clean, it's error-free, it's not in huge files, so it's still able to travel from several, you know, different you know, servers and places to get pulled. Just like is it huge deal i mean we're in a global world like we're always talking about a lot of fonts need to be available in many different languages tons of characters in them so a font engineer kind of understands how to look at the data how to make sure the font is at an optimal size as well because a font's a piece of software you know i think ultimately Mm -hmm. like font and a typeface this is a moment where they are different a font is the software and font production makes that font possible okay i want to say after all of that because that was like fantastic detail of some of the elements that a font production engineer needs to think of i feel like it's also worth pointing out that no one is born with all of those skills no one starts their career with all of those skills right like you build Mm -hmm. those skills by building fonts and making mistakes and learning along the way and it's very similar to Honestly, like literally whatever career you are in now, it is the same thing, right? Like you start out as a beginner, you learn a little bit on your own, you learn a little bit by doing, you make some mistakes, you keep learning. And eventually it's not intimidating to know all of the stuff that we were just talking about and have opinions about how to do these things. And I guess I'm only pointing that out because, like, I think it can be intimidating to be like, shoot, making a font takes all of this stuff that I had absolutely no idea was so important. And now I don't know if I should be making fonts, right? Because, like, that's crazy. I don't know all that stuff. And when it comes down to it, it's kind of like, you know, a a senior developer at Apple started out as a college student who was learning how to code some apps you know and i also yeah i do want to point out that you know most foundries don't have font engineers and you know if this stuff wasn't able to 
people weren't able to tackle it, there wouldn't be type designers that were, that were able to do font production and type design. You know, I think that it's definitely, there's resources on it online. And I think there's more resources now than ever. There's resources for stuff like quality control. That's something a font engineer would do, but also most type designers do it. Even proofing typefaces is kind of part of the production process. Hmm. So yeah, I think good point, Micah. This stuff is not like some scary big thing. It's definitely, you know, a lot to think about, but easy to, to digest once you kind of get going and get the ball rolling. And like, you don't have to have the right answer there. I mean, there there is no right answer for any given font. It's opinions and it's best practices that you have learned from doing stuff. And you don't have to know all of that up front. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I got today for font production and engineering. Definitely things that I think type designers eventually will take for granted after a while, but then they're like, oh yeah, I guess I do a lot of things that isn't designing letter forms day to day. Right. right. <laughs> so I think Daniel also does a great job of introducing some of those concepts in the in the workshop that's coming up in a few weeks. So definitely check your newsletter this week for the great links that we went over. If you want to get that full deep dive into what that monotype font engineer's life is like, much more in detail in the article. And a link to the workshops also available in the newsletter. So definitely check Yeah, it which out. for the record, that workshop is happening on March 6th from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be on Zoom. Exciting stuff. All right. Great work, Olivia, as always, my friend. Make a great team, as always. If anybody has any questions about anything or any cool links to share, you know, we got got a lot of bunch of good links from peeps last week. So uh, send them our way. Send us an email. Ask questions. Say hi. Do-do-do-do. Do-do-do-do. Do-do-do-do.